Good morning, good evening, hello, um, wherever you are in the world. Um, my name is Kevin Garber. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 59. We skipped an episode, unfortunately. We had Easter in Sydney and people were out and uh, timings, but um, we have not disappeared. We try not to skip episodes, but sometimes it does happen. Episode 59, we are Friday, the 24th of April, 2015. Last Friday of April, we are heading uh, heading into May, and um, with me is Nick Barker, who's um, product lead um, at Manage Flutter and Frontend Dev. Nick, um, good morning. Hi, good morning again. It's great to be back. And if you're listening and you're not from um, Sydney, Australia, you might have seen Sydney, Australia in the news for sort of all the wrong reasons this week. We had unusual, ferocious, long-lived storms, which were which were quite um, crazy. And um, Sydney people are very spoilt about the weather. So any variation Slight of deviation almost perfect weather, uh, people, people, I saw people walking in the streets and they were not happy. <laughs> yeah, one of my friends from Canada was like, ah, oh, just, you know, we get exactly the same thing except it's snow instead of rain. It's much worse. And, and I was talking to a, a girl yesterday who was making my almond milk cup chocolate, very trendy. <laughs> and um, she said, you know, I lived in Canada for five years and we have seven month winters yeah so um now we're very and uh, we're looking out over the sydney cbd it's and a it's a beautiful sunny day beautiful sunny again so come visit us in sydney australia as always we have a jam-packed show for you um we've got a great interview coming up um for you with joe haslam who's the, s- the chairman of hot.co.uk an interesting um accommodation booking mobile app we'll talk about that a little bit later but as always we cover some of the tech news and our industry is always moving at a million miles an hour nick some interesting um some interesting changes uh, in twitter twitter um which obviously um we very interested in because um we work on a product called manage flutter which uh, essentially helps you work faster and smarter on twitter and um, so we like to f- follow everything that's going on with Twitter. And one of the challenges Twitter has had is their, their user growth has been slowing um, a little bit. And they've made quite a, an interesting change that on Twitter, unlike Facebook, on Twitter you can actually get quite a lot of value even if you're logged out of Twitter. Even if you don't have an account on Twitter, you can still see the public streams. But that logged out page on Twitter up until now was pretty uneventful and quite hard to navigate around. And I believe they've actually made um, some changes to that logged out homepage of Twitter. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, they've created a Twitter front page that aggregates popular trending streams, um, tweets by topic, tweets by hashtag, that kind of thing. And I think it's really... um, It's basically just uh, evident of this, this wider initiative at Twitter, I think, to make the onboarding experience for people who have never used Twitter uh, a lot more more simple because I, I think that Twitter these days has become much more of an us versus them kind of thing. You either get Twitter or you don't get it at all. It's There's no real gray middle ground, whereas there are a lot of people on Facebook, for example, who are just, I have a Facebook account, but I don't really use it that often kind of thing, whereas people seem to have a Twitter account and love it or just don't have it and don't get it at all. So I think it's trying to remedy that that experience there yeah there are quite a few people um that just consume tweets on twitter um but i agree with you it tends to be a little bit binary in terms of people that love and use twitter and people that don't of course twitter is under a lot of pressure from instagram 
um, in terms Instagram surpassed Twitter's number of active users. Mm. I don't know if you saw yesterday Facebook announced their quarterly results and they announced some of their um, their numbers, in, insane numbers. Near about nine hundred and fifty six billion active daily users. Wow. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, in, uh, WhatsApp users are heading towards 1 billion. Um, if you're interested in Facebook, check out their latest results. Their share price is, is holding quite nicely. So Twitter's it's almost, um, it's niching itself, which I'm not sure if it's by accident or by design. Um, I mean, their revenue numbers are still quite strong. Mm. And I still think it's a very high quality product. They still own the real-time space. They own the celebrity space. They own the politics space. They own the live news space. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what this logged out page um, it does uh, to, to uh, the onboarding. I think the onboarding has always been tricky. It's one of the, the strengths and weaknesses of Twitter is its versatility. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky to um, get your head around it. But let's, uh, let's see what, what filters through in terms of uh, new user numbers. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is I think that uh, Twitter has gotten to the point where even though its user growth is slowing... I think the amount of data throughput is higher than it's ever been. And the signal to noise ratio at the moment on Twitter is really insane. Like it's, it's you, it's very, very hard if you follow more than say like a hundred or 200 people to, to get those sort of diamonds in the rough. So I guess the new homepage is sort of an effort to direct people to more, to stuff that would they are more likely to be interested in to, rather to help them curate it in the, in yeah, the right way absolutely um, if you're listening and you're a tech um, and startup junkie I've got a list on my Twitter account it's called tech startup I've got about 300 people that I'm following on that list which are um, super smart VCs super smart angels super smart CEOs you can follow that list and I actually sort of while I'm working I work with three screens and a lot of the time, um, one of my screens has TweetDeck open, and that column is actually of, of that list um, is there. And I sort of read a lot of the tweets, and it's I'm just getting sort of in fantastic sort of knowledge throughout the day. Twitter lists are totally um, unused feature. I mean, the Twitter lists can really help you curate your list in fantastic ways together with TweetDeck. And of course, ManageFlutter, one of the things you can do is you can analyze by influence and you can create lists and bring in your lists and do all sorts of things. So um, again, it's, it's, it's a powerful platform, which I think um, you know, a lot of people, fa Facebook, you don't have to put that much thought into it. It does, it sort of guides you a Absolutely. lot more. And it's algorithmic Facebook. And that's the, the idea of the algorithm is to think for you. I'm <laughs> going to think about your newsfeed and what you want to see, you know. And Facebook knows a, a huge amount about each individual user. Um, Whereas the whole point of Twitter is to not filter anything. So obviously that's where the signal to noise ratio problem comes in because everything comes through, which is, of course, why tools like TweetDeck even exist. And now, now of course, uh, Twitter's always been terrible at publicizing great features that they've developed. Like you know what I was th even thinking yesterday, you know, um, even some of the biggest brands in the world advertise and Twitter's never advertised. And mm. it, would be, it would be interesting to do some sort of PR campaigns or even sponsor things like Coachella or, um, you know, and actually, I mean, I, I think there's a sort of attitude in Silicon Valley sometimes, a very purist attitude if you build it, they will come. Well, if thing. you build the right thing <laughs> yeah. and you know what you're doing. I mean, you look at WhatsApp, right? Yeah. I mean, a million users a day, new users a day, growth on based on nothing. I mean, it's fantastic. But I think advertising, 
and branding and positioning does have its place. And I agree with you. I was thinking about that exact thing yesterday. If you could do some, um, and they got so many great celebs on board. It would be interesting if they could do some sort of cool info campaign with Kanye West poking fun at himself. <laughs> you know how he's God or whatever. I don't know if you'd ever to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he'd take it too seriously, I think. Yeah, but um, yeah, interesting times ahead for, for Twitter. They also could pushing hard on, on video. Of course, they bought Periscope. Mm. They still haven't launched the Android version of. I'm I'm. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're having some issues with um, the subtleties of the hardware differences to, because streaming, like live streaming video is actually uh, quite difficult to do and you have to, make you, you have to really make use of the hardware that's available on the device to do it smoothly and actually you know, have it compress at the same time and get good bandwidth and whatever. It's quite difficult. So it, I wonder if they're having issues with that or if, if just the initial Periscope team were just very iOS focused yeah. or whatever the reason was. Yeah. yeah, it may just take a little bit of time. Um, I mean, as I think I mentioned on the last podcast, um, you know, Quick existed years ago as a li- live oh, streaming yeah. app, you know, and I used to live stream. I think my first Burning Man in the States that I went to, I was I live streamed on the trip on the way there, um, bits and pieces, and it would, it would ping directly into Facebook, which yeah. was sort of cool. And I was actually surprised at the time. I remember thinking, I'm surprised at the time that um, it didn't take off. Because I, I, I really yeah. enjoyed live streaming on my trip every every now and then. And my friends actually saw a commentary. So I'd say, hey, you know, today we're heading out here. And this is where... And, and um, these decisions in retrospect always sort of... I'm like, yeah, I was onto something. I was, you know, many years ago... Um, I digress a little bit and I'll keep, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep it short. But uh, when Friendster first came out... Um, I sent, I was totally intrigued by it. And I sent all, I tried to find this email once. I sent all my friends a group email, probably about 20, 30 people. Mm. And the subject line of the email was why it's all important that we join the service. Yeah. Because that, that sort of friends of friends visibility and transparency, I saw something in it. But again, when I look back at the time, when I when reflect back on it, um, of course, I did nothing with it. But, um, y- you know, sometimes, yeah. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur or, or product person, when we do think something, there is, some, is, there is some some sort of juice in something, we should actually listen to that. You know? Yeah, I mean, Quick, unfortunately, I think was just too early, not from a tech perspective, but from a societal perspective. Because at that time, people still felt weird about sharing intimate details of their life with the public. Whereas now, thanks to Facebook and, and essentially after that, all the other follow-on social networks, People have no qualms just sharing anything, especially you know, live young, especially young people. Absolutely, I'll, yeah. I'll recount another quick story. I'll probably mention it somewhere on the podcast. I've got a friend whose uh, parents here in Sydney many, many years ago, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, started up a, a pizza store on the North Shore. And uh, they try to have a home delivery service. People would not give their phone numbers and addresses. Pri- pri- crazy right yeah people wow. were like i i'm not giving you my home address and name and everything you know so yeah. pe- people don't uh, you know especially the youngsters today i mean th- 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 i even remember re- remember pre-facebook right on irc days and things like that giving out your real and usenet days you know i don't even know if you know what usenet is yeah but of course uh, i mean <laughs> and um you know giving out your real name on the net was a big deal yeah. no one did it and when facebook came and people were putting their real names and their real photos like Every, wow seismic was, shift yeah absolutely. you know seismic shift on the you know we would never give out each other's real name, or it would be like you'd have to know someone for two years or something anyway that's um 
that's Twitter. There's another big story this week. Um, Google rolled out some uh, algorithm changes to its search um, results, um, mainly factoring in mobile. If you search on mobile, it's going to factor in, it's going to rank sites that have a good mobile experience a lot, a lot higher. So it's going to affect a ton of sites. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we were super lucky in that um, uh, Melon Media, uh, a breakfast that we hosted recently, we had the head of UX from from uh, Google Maps, was it? Was he head of UX? I, or don't, I, I don't know exactly where I'm in the not, food chain yeah, he was, but sure. he was involved in uh, UX for Google Maps. Yeah, so he was able to explain to us in more intimate detail about what the search rank changes for Google uh, actually mean, which is essentially uh, Google now has algorithms that it uses uh, to determine whether your website is mobile optimized or not, whether the screen fits correctly into the viewport, whether the buttons are too close together or whether the fonts are appropriately sized and, you know, whether, you know, whether images are optimized for mobile and that kind of stuff. And essentially, you can go to Google Webmaster Tools now, which you can find just by Googling it, and you can do like a free test that'll tell you if your website's mobile optimized. And the changes that they're going to make are, I think it's it's actually already started. We've we've seen some uh, traffic stuff personally here, but uh, essentially websites that aren't mobile optimized according to Google's algorithms are going to be downranked in searches that are done on mobile. So the big difference is a lot of people thought that it was going to happen just across the board in general, but we can confirm that it's just only searches through Google on mobile that will be downranked if you don't have a mobile optimized site. And they actually say this on their, um, which we'll put on the show notes, the official blog post from uh, googlewebmastercentral.blogspot.com.au. Um, they actually say that, so it's only it's it's, it's only going to affect the mobile sites. Do they yep. define mobile as pure mobile or, or um, tablets as well? It's tablets as well. Yep. So any any device that that uh, is determined, it should have a viewport defined. So I'm not going to explain that sort of in intimate detail, but uh, you can go and look it up on Google essentially. And and uh, basically, it's just saying that the the content on the screen has to fit the size of the screen. You don't want to have this big desktop website that just gets sta- scaled down to this you know tiny little text and all these side menus with lots of links kind of thing it just it really has to be actually optimized for mobile but they have this tool this uh, wizard that'll essentially hold your hand through the entire process of optimizing your site for mobile so and google's got some great tools that some people aren't um, aware of so go to the google webmaster tools and have a play and run your site through bits and pieces and it's definitely i mean the mobile traffic stats continue to just go nuts and uh, i mean one thing that came out of facebook's numbers yesterday was something like about 70 to 80 percent of their ad revenue come from comes from mobile ad revenue i mean that is just astounding well i mean one of the most interesting uh things that i realized a little while ago was developers and people who uh professional workers who who use desktop machines every day at work were complaining and and putting in requests to Facebook for the longest time. Please develop a native messenger app for desktop for fo- for Facebook, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we now realize that the reason that they decided not to do that was actually to push people onto mobile because they they needed essentially people like the, the more mobile customers, the better because for, for businesses in general, you can't use ad block on mobile. Mobile ads are much have way higher click-through rates and integrate 
generally much better with the surrounding content rather than just being banner ads. So one of the reasons that they, they decided not to build a native desktop messenger app is because they wanted people to use messenger on mobile or in the browser. So it's interesting to see as well that there's a ton of, I mean, they opened up an API on the Facebook messenger. Oh, that's going to be a whole other thing. And, and yeah. there's already a ton of apps. I mean, a lot of them seem very sort of um, geeky, not, not so much geeky, but more, um, teenage demographic, you know, quirky gifts and and they're animations. All, they're and all related to stickers. Yeah. They're a hundred, like the, <laughs> the vast majority are related to stickers. I mean, I'm surprised there's not more, you know, sort of uh, I hate to say sort of enterprise business feature, you, you know, apps. But um, yeah, interesting. People are building on that platform already. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be. We, we all knew that this kind of thing was coming eventually because uh, you look at the web, how it was in the late 90s, and it was incredibly simple. And, and I remember it well. When it, when it first started, <laughs> um, honestly, people could say, I've been to every page on the net. Like it, it Dude, when, when, the blink tag, <laughs> when the blink tag came out, Microsoft, <laughs> Microsoft's proprietary, non-proprietary blink tag. Man, it was exciting times. And marquee, Every, yeah, and marquee. Drop shadows, and, yeah. yeah. Everyone was just, you know. Using it um, everywhere. <laughs> you know, I used to lecture at uni many years ago, UTS, and um, there was one woman, I think she was from Spain, I remember, and um, she had this thing, and this was, gosh, when was this? This must have been early 2000s or so somewhere around there. So the web was already pretty well established, but not as crazy as it was pre-Facebook days. And she was like, there's so much junk on the web someone needs to clean it up yeah. she had this thing about like you know we need to clean up the web <laughs> and i was like good luck good luck with that one she should have invented google i guess yeah or just bring it back into closed um, networks like CompuServe or aol so but um, essentially yeah mobile's finally it started off insanely simple and through apple's like really you know closed ecosystem like they had an iron grip on it and and it's remained relatively simple for a long time now, but finally we're starting to get into the realms where mobile eventually is going to become insanely complex and there's going to be all these nested apps and ecosystems all working within each other. Like it's, it's inevitable that it would have happened eventually. But and there's also the big arguments of, um, you know, the open web versus the closed web. You know, mm. apps, apps bring you into a closed, you know, um, environment and it takes you off the web, which is not open. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to episode 59 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Remember, you can email us at podcastitsamonkey.com. You can sign up for email notifications when the, when a uh, episode goes live at itsamonkey.com. You can also comment on stories at the website. Subscribe on iTunes. Let your friends know. We love doing this podcast for you, and we love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to chat to Joe Haslam, um, chairman of hot.co.uk. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter helps you to work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can schedule tweets for appropriate times, gain insight into your Twitter connections, grow your Twitter account, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com for a free trial. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber, where we talk about everything relating to the tech economy, startups, social media, you name it, uh, we're on top of it. Now, we talk a lot about um, American startups, Silicon Valley startups, New York startups. We touch on some Australian startups. And um, 
there's of course there's a whole world outside of that um, whether it's uh, the Middle East Africa or even Europe and uh, I thought we'd touch on some some European startups for a change and um, at the end of my Skype line I have Joe Haslam who's the chairman of hot hotels hot.co.uk is that correct Joe yes it is Kevin hot.co.uk and um, hot hotels mobile only um, um, e-commerce service which I find interesting in itself which we'll chat about and it's uh, Europe's largest mobile only last minute hotels booking app um, so Joe firstly thank you very much for joining us you, you're coming to us live from Madrid in Spain so we uh, we bounce around all parts of the planet on this podcast I appreciate you making um, time for us no no worries at all Kevin no worries Joe talk to us about um, Hot Hotels, um, I'll get into some of your spectacular growth. Um, it's been around for about three, four years? Uh, yes, I mean, we, we sort of launched at a travel fair. There are about four really big travel fairs uh, in the tourism business, and one of them is held in Spain. It's called Fitur. Uh, and about three years ago, uh, we set up a stand in, in Fitur and we sort of went around to the hotels one by one to sort of say, look, mobile is, you know, becoming very interesting. It was a very early, you know, thing for them. And, and especially at a trade fair, they were sort of interested in in, uh, in immediate bookings. Uh, so we went around and we talked to them, but we managed to sign up an awful lot of hotels. And then once uh, we had those hotels, then we built the app. And... Um... Why did you decide, I mean, it's pretty bold for a booking service, a hotel booking service to go mobile only. I mean, it's pretty, um, you know, it's pretty confident of your own ability to build an app that will be sort of frictionless enough for someone to book a hotel reservation service. Why did you decide to go mobile only or, you know, at least mobile first? Okay, well, I think, uh, you know, Hot Hotels is my sixth startup. And, and one of my co-founders is another Irish guy who lives in Spain called Conor O'Connor. I mean, he's been doing this for years. And we go back, like, uh, not together, but separately to the dot-com time. And we had set up companies at that time. And I guess what you learn is that, you you know, as a startup, you don't have the resources to complete directly with the existing players in the industry. So what you have to do is to sort of future guess what might happen. Uh, you have to sort of design something with the purpose that in, in about three years' time, it'll be the sweet spot and it'll be something that, you know, can compete against the big guys. So mobile only was sort of the way to go because that was something that they couldn't possibly claim. Um, I guess we would be students of disruptive innovation as well. And, and I guess this idea that you can, you, you know, you need to take on something uh, that doesn't seem like a threat to them and then they can, you know, they don't feel um, sort of obligated to fight against you. And then you can slowly but steadily build up some Something which then becomes very interesting. So that was our, our view with mobile. I guess the other thing about mobile is, is uh, you know, mobile is just so much bigger than the PC industry ever was. Those of you that, that read um, Benedict Evans in Andreas and Horowitz, and I sort of knew him almost before he was famous uh, and when he was sending out re uh, research reports, you know, he talks about mobile being 10 times the size that PC ever was. You know, if you look at when Amazon went public, there was about 340 million people connected to the web, uh, you know, and many of them over a dial-up connection, which wasn't very good. You know, there's about 3 billion people now connected. Now, even if not all of them are buying hotels, you know, that's just su such a staggering number. So there was no question in our mind that mobile was a risk or that, you know, mobile wouldn't happen. So in that sense, uh, you know, we felt while people would travel and, and we felt they would, and while mobile would take off and 
something we also felt we would. We, we thought it was a good bet. Um, I guess a lot of traditional companies are still psychologically uh, finding it challenging to to even just have the confidence that people will do anything on their mobile app. I mean, when I say anything, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, make bookings, purchase whatever needs to be purchased on their mobile app. I still hear people talking about the fact that, um, you know, people won't do this on a mobile, won't do that on a mobile. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure about that. I mean, we, we have the confidence coming that it's a matter of time. You know, I mean, we've seen that in in our own. I mean, our app is more or less the way it was when we started it. Obviously, you know, we've improved things like usability and, and the back end is an awful lot more sophisticated than when we started. But, you know, a lot of our growth has come from just people getting better phones. Uh, there being, you know, more Wi-Fi available and, you know, natural factors like that. And so we, we actually don't think that in a sense that it's something we have to uh, get right that like the world is kind of is doing a lot of that work for us so I mean uh, you know you look at Airbnb for instance their app is in my opinion a much superior experience to their website mm. uh, and that you know and if you look at the actual statistics and um, I mean the, the big kind of shocker statistic and, and you know every every person in a startup should have their like wow statistic that they pull out and, and my wow statistic is that in, in 2015 uh, there will be more searches on mobile than on web and of course and, inter- you know interestingly google's google's about to make some pretty significant changes to its algorithm um factoring in whether your site is mobile friendly or not yeah for exactly that reason i mean they they have been i mean this is sort of what these guys do you know they the big guys they set up a team who follows this but they do try and keep their existing business model cranking out for as long as they possibly can uh, you know there's money to be made and there's revenue to be made so you know until the switch happens they they you know they want to be sure and they certainly don't want to switch too early which is almost as bad in some cases as as switching too late because they're leaving money on the table so you know this is a huge huge thing in the industry uh, the fact what google are doing in terms of when you search now you you'll get prompted to download an app for instance which is uh, you know recognition that a lot of people are actually searching on on mobile devices so, you know, we've been kind of waiting for this moment and, you know, quietly be beavering away, you know, adding hotels and that kind of thing. But, you know, now we have a lot more interest because we have an existing solution. We have three years worth of mobile booking data, which for a lot of companies who don't have that is something that, you know, they're really anxious to get their hands on. I mean, from the outsider's perspective, it seems like quite a um, quite a bold sort of market, market segment in the sense of I understand the the hotel industry and the travel industry in particular is um, a very political. There's a lot of vested interests. There's a lot of alliances that are hard to crack. There's a lot of, um, you know, territories, etc. That that people are not supposed to encroach on. And the the other element is that it's from the outside. It seems like really competitive. I mean, I, I would imagine you guys have have both direct and indirect competitors. Mm, you, you sound like a bit like my parents or, or I guess my <laughs> wife, like talking about the problems, you know. But look, uh, the first thing is, is that like the travel business is bigger than the oil business. You know, you're talking about nine trillion dollars. Like it's just so massive. So, you know, it's not a question of a lot of industries are like winner take all where you have like one guy who dominates everything. And then you have like two kind of smaller players. And then you have like everybody else who are like nowhere. Um, you know, the hotel industry is uh, it's also very 
um, you know, flights, I think, is the, you know, when people talk about tourism, they still talk about flights. And I think the flights industry is very much as you've described. Hotels is a very different, uh, is very different to flights. Right. The margins are a lot bigger. Um, you know, the, the technology um, is, uh, you know, we can connect to people in surprisingly sophisticated. But I guess the biggest thing of all is that it's not a complex thing. You know, everyone more or less knows what a hotel is and more or less knows what they want. You know, if you're talking about buying a pair of shoes or something like that, there's all sorts of factors to talk about. But, you know, people can make a decision relatively quickly in terms of a hotel, whether this is what they're looking for. So in that sense, uh, you know, all we ever wanted to do was to sort of, you know, help hotels uh, sell their rooms. Uh, you know, there's sort of this historical statistic in the industry of 60% occupancy, you know, and there's almost a toleration for that. Now, in the airline industry, you know, they eventually sort of realized that was a problem and have, have you know, really started to sort of uh, boost that up. So what all we're doing is we go to hotels and say, look, let us sell the rooms you can't sell. Uh, because we have mobile technology. In other words, we can, you know, get we can kind of have something that can be in the hands of people that they can make a booking in like less than 10 seconds for people who are regular bookings. I mean, I've done it myself. Uh, you know, we, we eat our own dog food. So when I'm booking a hotel, I don't do anything special. I use our own app, you know, and I've, I've you know, just last week, I actually booked a hotel in between the time the taxi driver asked me for the money and he was giving me back my change. Uh, it's, you know, it's that quick to do it. Now, you compare that experience to, you know, before the apps were when people would have had to, like, I don't know, go to a cyber cafe, you know, borrow someone's computer, start to put their credit card into a, a sort of a either a cyber cafe or somebody else's computer. There was all these sort of frictional issues. And that's not even before we get into this idea of like typing in your name and asking you all these questions that you don't really want to answer about. Uh, you know, this is almost like sending a text message. That was sort of our thinking. Like, can you open the app? You know, can we give you information very quickly to allow you to make a decision? And then literally like you press a button and it's done. I mean, I have to say I travel quite a lot, uh, mainly to the United States, and uh, maybe it's um, ages finally catch them up, uh, up on me, but it never dawned on me to book a hotel room through my mobile app. And I'm a pretty tech-savvy person. I always hop on to, um, you know, either go through TripAdvisor or I go through Expedia, read the reviews, you know, look at the areas, but it's, it's, it never even dawned on me to give it a go on my mobile yeah, I mean, you know, you have there's there's different types of travelers. I mean, you know, in the industry, people talk about usually people travel with like 14 days in advance and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, we are sort of a new space in the sense of uh, the use cases we talk about are like, you know, you're in town with the car, suddenly you meet a friend who didn't really, you know, was there. He wants you to come out for a few drinks. You say, but I've got the car. So then it's just easier for you to kind of like literally take out your phone, book a hotel for like 30 euros. And then you can, you know, go drinking, literally go to the hotel, literally walk in and just fall in the bed and then get up in the morning and drive home. So it's, it's that sort of idea that, I mean, I, I grew up in, in the west of Ireland 
where, you know, nobody ever stayed in hotels, took taxis, ate in restaurants. You know, it was a very kind of, uh, you know, my father was a very austere kind of a man. And I still have that kind of idea about hotels. Like, you you know, you walk by them, but, I, you know, you couldn't possibly stay in them. And a lot of people are still like that. The way the, the airline industry used to be before Ryanair and EasyJet and JetBlue and all these people came along. That you know, uh, uh, flying in a in an airplane is no big deal. So in a way, that's what's happening with hotels. That it's like hotels aren't just for like special occasions or business travelers. You can use a hotel. You know, I mean, J.K. Rowling writes Harry Potter. She just books into a hotel. I mean, she has a beautiful castle in Scotland, but it just doesn't feel right to her. So what she does is when she's writing is she gets up, she goes in, she works from a hotel room and then she goes home. And, you know, so hotel rooms have all sorts of sometimes if you um, I mean, when we had our second child, for instance, there's a hotel across the road for me and sometimes I just needed to get some sleep. So it was easier for me to like open the app, say, wow, there's I can sleep over there for like 25 euros. And sometimes that was worth the while. So that's the kind of use case you're talking about, that hotels have got away from this, you know, old idea of that it's to do with traveling. And it's very much like you have a need, whether it's just to sort of, um, you know, get some quiet time on your own or, you know, stay unexpectedly in a place that you hadn't expected, you know, that sort of situation. And the technology enables that. It's uh, moved from a, a rarefied luxury to um, something a lot more accessible. Yeah, it's just like flights, you know. I mean, this idea that, you know, flights, this kind of glamour glamour thing, it's no, no, it's, it's just, it's convenience, you know. It's, it's um, the you know, and hotels have kind of, uh, the, the attitude of the change in hotels that we've noticed in the last few years has been really interesting. I mean, it surprised me. I'm relatively new to the industry in that my background is in technology. And I sort of, you know, didn't really understand about hotels and their, you know, their revenue models. And they're still very much dominated. The kind of people who run hotels, uh, you know, the idea is to make a beautiful experience, to have a beautiful building, to, you know, the kind of the, the commercial part of it is almost an afterthought. And you still have an awful lot of people, you know, high net worth individuals who own a hotel almost as like a garden or some sort of, you know, something that they like to do. So I remember going into hotels and expecting something like a stock exchange, you know, where you, you'd have screens and dynamic pricing. And, you know, what I found very often are a group of people with spreadsheets and highlighters. And that really surprised me. And, you know, the lack of kind of, you know, really real effort to try and, you know, sell as much of uh, these rooms as possible is something that's kind of new into the industry. Uh, so um, this is something we're allowing people to do because it is really frustrating uh, when you have, you know, you get up that day and you say, oh, occupancy is bad. Because what hotels don't want, nobody wants to stay in a hotel if they're the only person staying in the hotel. So, you know, you need um, this kind of footfall. People like to stay in a hotel no more than anyone wants to eat in a restaurant if they're the only person in there. So hotels have lots of interesting dynamics. It isn't just the revenue for the room. There's also the ancillary revenue. There's also, you know, the fact that they want to try and promote their hotel so that if somebody you know, books last minute, they like it, they know where it is, they'll come back. So there's all these kind of new factors that have come into play because of apps like ours. 
Um, I find the hotel industry in New York pretty fascinating. I mean, in Sydney, it's pretty hard to find rooms that are more than $1,000 a night. But in New York, there's literally pages and pages of hotels that are comfortably more than $1,000 a night. And I find the way that they price hotels in New York is very much like they price airline tickets. I mean, the exact same room will be um, $200 one night and will be $600 the next night. Yeah, and, 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 you know, that's one of the things, uh, you know, there's a paradox. I mean, my wife works for a telecommunications company, which means she's never paid a telephone bill in her life or had to worry about data charges or any of these kind of things. And that's a sort of a huge issue sometimes with people in the in the travel industry that, you know, because they've never, you know, they use their own in-house services. They've never really had to have that experience of like finding something and, you know, looking through different prices and, you know, when it's their own money that's, that's on the line. So very often they, they don't fully experience uh, how, how exactly how it is as, as a traveler. And um, the other thing I'd say is that, you know, talking about New York and, you know, Vegas, Los Angeles, Sydney, London, you know, those aren't exactly the, you know, the, the cases where those are kind of 1% type experiences. Uh, you know, where our app is more for the 99% rather than the 1%. You know, we want to sell hotel rooms in Timisoara, Romania, you know, in, in like out of the way places rather than trying to sort of compete in the New York market. Uh, and that's a sort of, uh, you know, that's a sort of an, an attitude that um, you find very often, again, with VCs in the way that they're interested in companies they can understand, but they very often don't understand that the 99%, you know, just how uh, important it is to some people to get a hotel for $70 as opposed to $90, you know, and just how many of those people are out there. Uh, and that's, you know, so our space is probably a lower space. We're above the hostel kind of a space, but our sweet spot would be 150 euro hotel for 75 euros. That's the kind of hotel we sell an awful lot of. Could you have any metrics on, um, um, usually people listen to us a little bit, you know, tech savvy, etc., and they, um, can you give us any metrics on um, the difference between your iPhone users and your Android users? Do you pick up any different trends in terms of average spends, geographies, anything um, interesting? There's always the debate between the iOS versus the Android and, um, you know, the, 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 the stats reflect that the iOS in theory is a richer demographic to some of the stats that, that you guys have reflect some of this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Uh, it's like an 80-20 split in reverse. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, it's different days. You you get very different days, like the behavior at the weekend is very different to what, what happens during the week. Uh, but on some days, certainly 80% of our revenue would be coming from the iPhone as opposed to the Android environment. Uh, but in our downloads, you know, we would have more downloads from Android. Um, Android is an extremely complex ecosystem. You know, you trying to get the Android application right, uh, you know, there's just so many flavors. It's really hard to to get that right. And, you know, we've done what we can in terms of developing natively. But still, uh, the user experience in, a, in an Android device is not something we can consistently replicate, whereas on the iPhone we can. And there's probably there's a higher drop off, certainly, of people booking on Android just because like the smallest thing can make a, a bit of a difference, you know, sure. kind of a line, a line out of out of sync or something like that, uh, especially if 
people haven't updated the software on their device. You know, it's one thing to sort of say it's a Samsung, you know, whatever. But then if they haven't updated the, the, the software, they can get a different experience. So most of our business does come from from the iPhone. Um, but, um, you know, the, there are much more Android devices out there. So that's something that, you know, in the future, um, you know, we're, we're looking at. But I guess for the moment, uh, we do prioritize if there's a choice to be made we, we do prioritize the apple experience over the android experience i guess that's something to be said for a closed ecosystem that they can control control i guess that's the that's the benefit of the iphone ecosystem yeah but that i mean that isn't going to happen um well it's, unless there's you know the famous third ecosystem comes out of there but um yeah i mean it's it just you know we i guess we feel we're very proud of our app and sometimes we you know, we, we feel we'd love to be able to do more about the Android, but it's just so many flavors, so many devices, you know, this kind of thing. And uh, it can be very frustrating when somebody sends you a sort of, um, you know, send, sends you a message. Oh, I, I, you know, I opened your, your app and I was all set to book, but they, the currency symbol was, was off or something mm. like that. So, you know, that is that, that that's an issue for us. And that usually doesn't happen uh, on the Apple. But the thing that... Um, has been happening to us in the last year is that we're selling less and less through our app and more and more through other people's apps, which is when the whole thing gets gets really interesting. I mean, the, you know, the, our back end of our, uh, you know, you have to develop a front end in order to get the hotels and that kind of stuff. But we're finding like, you know, there are some days when we are actually selling more through other people's apps rather than actually through our own app. And in that case, uh, it's a much cleaner experience because many of these people have, you know, uh, have managed to, um, you know, have the resources to develop a more consistent experience. But what they don't have are the kind of sophistication in pricing that we are able to provide. Uh, you know, we, we work very hard in terms of, you know, um, looking at, uh, the, the rate we get the hotel at and, and you know, using kind of algorithms and, and logic to try and get exactly the optimum price point. Uh, and we're pushing that out to people. So uh, that's the sort of thing that we really work on rather than the actual app experience itself. So you've got um, you've got other partners that, that tap into sort of hook in via an API or something like that and um, can just sort of present the, the um, results and the pricing and the... Um, the the sort of um, rooms in a way that's that's consistent with with their app or their product. Yeah, I mean this is you know, and I know this for having you know background in technology and also having worked in big organizations. You have this famous roadmap, and no matter how big you are in a technology companies, all technology companies have their roadmap. And if you're a big technology company. Uh, in the travel or tourism space and the web is still where most of your money comes in the web gets priority so you have all sorts of guys that are like the mobile team and they're like the unloved they're, they're like a child which is like you know we know we'll need you in the future but for the moment uh, you know sort of we've other things to talk about uh, and these guys very often they can't get uh, an experience they're happy with to their own in-house developers. So you have a situation where they connect with us through an API, uh, and that's the sort of what's working really well for them. Um, it's it's you know it, again because uh, the the CEO of the company Connor O'Connor and me we we have a technology background. We we understand this uh, completely that you know it's a, your company could be worth billions and you could have billions, but uh, you can't get on the roadmap. Sometimes the roadmap is nine months before you can get access to develop 
developers. So if you need information on your app, just the best way to do it is to work with work, work with us and use our API. Interesting. And you guys are in 54 countries. How's your Asia pack? I, I have to be honest, I haven't had a chance to mm. um, download it. You, you cover Australia at the moment? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's but that's more of a case of European travelers in those countries rather right. than the local than the local market. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, Spanish people, like particularly younger people who are traveling in, in these countries. And, uh, you know, you can see when we sell hotels in Vietnam, you know, you can see the name of the person booking. It's it's very often not a local person. It's very often someone with a with a European name. So that's sort of how that works. Again, the, the technology enables it. You know, you can, uh, you know, adding a new country, we, we don't have a direct sales team. Uh, you know, we can just get access to these hotels and it's all centralized in our office in Marbella. And we just have, you know, people looking who can kind of get access to the feed and they can, we you know, we put that through our own, whether it's translating or whether it's sometimes we, we would uh, edit the copy slightly or the pictures and things like that. And then we, we can push that out. The other thing we've sort of taken a decision to do is to sell, you pick a country like Romania, like we sell in English in euros rather than in Romanian right, gotcha. and, and, and in Lek. Uh, and, you know, the, the Romanian in our office, uh, off, you know, says, look, to be honest, a lot of people are more comfortable dealing with in euros and, you know, and in English as well. It's, it's so that isn't as big an issue. So obviously there are... Um, you know, in 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 time, I could see us, you know, adding currencies and adding language supports for, you know, Slovak and you know those kind of languages. But for the moment, uh, it's about the price. It really is about getting, uh, you know, how can we have a low friction way of booking a hotel in, in a very short space? Uh, and you know, if someone isn't bothered by euros and isn't bothered by English uh, and a lot of the people who are, are traveling uh, that is the case then you know we we just don't put the investment in unless it, we can see the return and um, I see uh, for the year 2014 your your monthly bookings increased over 2,000 percent from the beginning of the year to the end of the year that's um, that's quite a statistic yeah, well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, that's sort of internet scale for you. Um, but even you know, by internet scale, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Well, you know, I mean, one of the things is that uh, Spain, I mean, one of the reasons we're in Spain uh, is that it's like the fourth biggest, the fourth most visited tourist country in the world. So, you know, Spain had a very good year in terms of tourism. Uh, and also a lot of our hotel partners were really motivated. They could see the whole mobile thing taking off and they, were, you know, gave us very good pricing. Uh, and that enabled us to, um, to, you know, to sell, make a lot of bookings. Uh, I think also, you know, what I mentioned before is that, you know, the iPhone 6 coming out, you know, Samsung and, and really pushing their handsets. So, you know, if you have this new fancy phone, you want to go do something with it. And in many cases, that that's things like booking hotels. So we haven't really been doing a whole lot different to when we started three years ago. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of the you know, the, the world is in, in many ways ready for us. We prepared for a world that we're now in uh, and that, you know, we're reaping the benefits from that. And how, I mean, a mobile only app, it's a lot harder in a way. I mean, the, the whole, you know, the whole SEO, SEM side of things is quite 
different because you have you have um, you know discovery via the app stores as opposed to the Google searches and you know it's a little it's 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 a little bit of a different animal. I mean, have you guys done any specific um, you know search engine or or, um, or or app store optimizations or push reviews or you know that that has helped with discovery and installs of your apps? So I know Twitter and Facebook you can promote app installs. Have you done anything like that? Yeah, I mean, less so. Uh, like we we were one of the first people. Again, one of the things about being uh, from Ireland is that we we tend to know the people who work for these companies, like Twitter and Facebook and Apple. Most of the, you know, I went to school and grew up playing soccer with these guys. So and you can co- sort of you, you, what. I was going to say, say? and of course, um, you know, someone listening might not realize why, but, um, you know, a lot of, I think nearly, I think three of the, I think Twitter, Facebook and Google push all their revenue through Ireland, don't they? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's, uh, you know, what you have to remember about these big Silicon Valley companies is that in most cases, their international business is bigger than their their domestic business. And second of all, that mostly goes through Ireland. I mean, I think, you, um, you know. Yeah, I think I think Google's is about, uh, the last time I checked, might be a little bit of an old stat now. It was about 50-50, some, somewhere around there. But um, that's because Ireland has got this tax loophole of sorts. And I mean, in Australia, over the last couple of months, there's been a lot of discussion since people are becoming quite aware of um, of, of this um, sort of fact. And Australia is very big on its egalitarianism. And there's uh, definite rumblings that people aren't happy that there's a sense that Google is not paying, um, you know, the appropriate amount of uh, corporate tax. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a whole that's a sort of that's not an issue that features very highly on on my to do list. Um, yeah, I'm, in the, I'm in the business of, of selling hotel rooms, but uh, it's just a fact of life that the guys that were in my class at university are now in good positions in these companies, and uh, because of that, they're more likely to answer my calls and take my emails. And when they want to experiment with something. Uh, so we were, you know, when Twitter were doing promoted ads and, uh, you know, when Facebook were doing new installs, you know, we were kind of able to sort of work with those guys uh, when very few people were doing it. Uh, and that gave us kind of very good pricing. And that certainly enabled us to do it, uh, you know, to kind of you know boost number of downloads. But that's changed now because, you know, uh, Facebook installs and Twitter promoted tweets are, you know, more expensive and there are a lot more people going in. So what we tend to do is try and be the first to do something and then kind of once it becomes more mature and you know people with bigger budgets come in we, we don't then compete against those guys so it's like always what's the next wave so we you know we try to do things like before other people get to know about them uh, and then kind of get the benefit from them at that stage uh, and then kind of move on when when the guys with the big expense accounts come in um interestingly paypal also run there if, if you're in australia and you call customer service for paypal you also get pinged through to ireland um, and some of the paypal staff in sydney are actually from yeah. from ireland as well so interesting little little tech hub um happening there i've actually i've been to dublin and it's it's really one of my favorite cities i really i'm always telling people how fantastic Dublin uh, is. I'd love to see more of Ireland. And it always amazes me. We've got a lot of English people and Irish people in Australia, as I'm sure you know. And um, I'm amazed at the number of English people that have not been to Ireland. 
It's it's incredible. Most of them haven't. Your average English person has not been to Ireland. Yeah, I mean, possibly they, um, <laughs> you know, they're worried that we mightn't be nice to them for historical reasons. But uh, you know, there was the. <laughs> There was a little dispute that we had over a number of uh, over 800 years that uh, eventually we partly resolved. But uh, I, I don't think I think the big thing about Ireland is that there are so many second The big thing about England and Ireland is that there are so many second generation. Uh, in the 50s, a lot of Irish people went to live in England. Uh, and then though their, their kids then were obviously born in England and are English. So those people, you know, have Irish names and understand uh, Ireland very well. And a lot of them now are moving back to Ireland uh, for those opportunities uh, because they were, you know, well-educated in England and, and that kind of thing. So you do have an awful lot of, you know, people who I guess their, their passport is English, although a lot of them would get the Irish passport, which they're entitled to. But, you know, their accents would be English. But they're in, uh, you know, they are in Irish and are absolutely regarded as as Irish. You you wouldn't uh, differentiate everyone as a family member who um, has, you know, lived in England. So in that sense, we, we all understand uh, that that sort of situation. But uh, there's a thriving tech hub in Dublin. It's called Silicon Docs. And literally within sight of each other, you can see Twitter, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and they're all sort of, you know, the you know, staff move between them and, you know, they're all fantastically well paid and, and very much have a positive. It's a very exciting time. Uh, and I, I go there a couple of times a year and it's just really interesting to see um, how, you, you know, it's just really interesting to see kind of, again, somebody you grew up with, you know, can get to a very senior position in these companies. We, we tend to think of Silicon Valley people as being these superstars. And, you know, I could tell you people who are in senior positions in these companies that, you know, are, are very ordinary people who do very ordinary things. So it's one thing, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to compete against them uh, because these, these people are not like, uh, you know, superstars by any manner of means. I think that's a fantastic point. I mean, it's for another discussion talking about, um, you know, the evolution of, you know, starting a tech startup, etc. And um, I think that that people, you know, not in the industry sometimes think that, uh, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and um, are incredibly special people. And, um, you know, you know, they're probably less special than people project onto them. You know, it's actually if you if your dream is to start a tech startup, I always encourage people just to do it. The thing you really just need more than anything is um, tenacity and uh, and to stick to it, and um, you know, be able to enjoy the roller coaster. But you really don't need to be a genius of any stretch of the imagination. There's all different avenues you can come to it. You can be a tech person or a non-developer, or you, you, you know, it's there's a whole variety of ways you can sort of uh, um, you know weave the story and give it a go. Yeah, that's very true. And, and in some ways, it's our own fault because it's us or, or people. I mean, it's a huge problem in Spain, for instance, where people believe, oh, I could never, you know, do that. Those Silicon Valley people are somehow different or have a special thing. But I always talk about you know, soccer. You hear exactly the same thing happen in when people when Americans talk about soccer. They say, oh, you know, I'd love to play in the Champions League, but I, you know, I didn't grow up in Spain or, or Europe. So that could never happen for me. And you hear the Spanish people people saying, oh, I'd love to be a billion dollar tech executive, but I didn't grow up in Silicon Valley. So that could never happen to me. So in many ways, it's our own fault for, you know, letting, you know, sort of talking ourselves out of doing this rather than just going ahead and, and doing it. I see um, 
you guys raised about a million euros in seed funding. Um, what is the seed funding, early stage funding situation in Spain? Sure. Uh, well, um, our own situation is that, uh, you know, as I guess this is my sixth startup, we, our attitude was very much, you know, um, uh, keep costs down, you know, don't give away the equity in the company and then try and get your money from customers. And, and we sort of still have that scrappy mentality. Uh, we, we took capital really because it was a way of, you know, when you want to hire a, a better quality of, 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 um, of person, they they like to see that you're funded and they like to see that, you know, there's no danger that the company has has money in the bank. I think also um, from our own perspective, it's always good when a third person comes in and validates you and says, you know, a professional investor looks at your business plan and your existing thing and says, OK, this is something uh, because there is a danger that you can sort of believe you're, you're better than you, than you are. Now, in terms of the funding situation in Spain, uh, it has actually got really good. Uh, I've been here 11 years and, you know, probably the first seven or eight were very difficult. But in the last few years, um, it's got a lot better. Uh, everyone, I mean, the big thing is in Spain, we're all trying to copy Israel uh, rather than Silicon Valley and mm. kind of have this model where the government supports uh, tech startups. And uh, we sort of borrowed something that they did in 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 um, in uh, in Israel, whereby the government has pushed out money to venture capital firms. I mean, the big thing uh, that is different about Europe and the states is that most European VCs get their money from one government or other, and rather than say from a pension fund or something like that. Uh, and that's a very, I mean, when I American friends visit, when I tell them that, they're always really surprised. So the Spanish government, I think, over about three or four years, they could end up putting as much as a billion euro into like tech startups and to try and, you know, really dynamitize the sector because that's ultimately where jobs come from. And there's a huge unemployment problem in Europe and that problem will be solved unless, you know, small companies get big. So they're trying to, uh, you know, support the sector. Uh, so in that sense, there's a lot of money around um, the only thing, of course, is that, you know, just having money, it's you also have to have experience and execution of skill. So the other thing that Spain needs a lot of are, I guess, talented foreigners or people with experience. So they are, you know, they have introduced a visa program that allows people to um to, to come in. But I mean, in, in I'm also an associate professor at IE Business School in Madrid, and it still frustrates me that after someone does an MBA, that they're not necessarily allowed to stay in the country from, say, you are if you're European, uh, but if you're from Brazil and you're, you don't have a sort of a European passport, you generally have to go. Uh, and, you know, Spain should be trying to keep those people in the country because they're already here. Uh, and that's, you know, but those are kind of the issues. You, you need three things, really. You need money, uh, you need experience, um, and then you also need some sort of, um, I guess, community or ecosystem. Uh, and those are sort of the three things that, um, you know, that Spain is working on. Um, but, you know, it, these things don't happen overnight. I think there's another element, if I can just add to that, um, in my experience, being quite familiar with um, the South African um, startup experience as well as the Israeli startup experience. And I think that's a much harder aspect, and that's having a culture that can process risk. And I know in Australia, that's probably one of the most overlooked aspects of our culture where we get talked about the limitations of early stage capital, etc. But I actually think 
one of the limitations is that it's a culture that's not familiar with dealing with risk. In South Africa, where I grew up, um, there's all sorts of you know types of risks that you learn up to, to, to live with day to day. And in Israel, where I've spent a bit of time, again, there's a lot of risk. So startups on the relative scale um, you know, are quite easy to process the risk, whereas a lot of my Australian friends who have grown up in an amazing steady-state country, um, a startup actually, relatively speaking, actually seems quite scary. So, um, you know, that, that cultural risk element I find quite interesting. Sure. Um, yeah, the attitude to risk, uh, you know, there's, there's, I guess it is difficult in, um, in Spain in terms of the legal situation, in terms of sometimes you can be liable for, you know, it's not like, um, you know, the, the Dutch system or the, you know, in most countries in the world, the, the penalty for failure is very low unless you've committed fraud, uh, whereas Spain does have laws. But I tend not to focus on that kind of stuff. Um, and I also am not very... Uh, the other thing is the social pressure and I, I, but you know, I don't really worry about what other people think of me. There are a lot of other people who kind of do worry. So I wouldn't really care if I started a company that failed. I would just on to the next thing where there are some people who kind of worry about that. Um, and that is kind of changing slowly and surely, uh, as people are exposed to, um, you know, new influences and stuff like that. I mean, the younger generation, for instance, they just kind of, they get most of their sources from the internet. So they're not as kind of dependent for their influences on, you know, teachers and business leaders and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so they're, they just look at the fact that like there are loads of people who, who are now successful, who, you know, took them several goals. So they don't really think about that. It's just onto the next thing. So I wouldn't focus too much, too much on that. Uh, I think you, you have to, and especially if you're, I always encourage diversity among team members. So one of the problems is if, you know, if you have like four Spanish guys from the same town who, you know, were in each other's engineering class, sometimes they can weigh each other down. But if you have somebody who has, you know, has a different set of experiences or a different background, they can kind of be the one to say, look, who cares? Let's just move on. And sometimes that can be enough uh, for the for the company to move on. Yeah, well, we we digress, but really interesting, interesting topic. I know it's a passion of yours and mine. But uh, Joe Haslam, um, chairman of Hot Hotels, coming to us from Madrid in Spain. Um, Hot.co.uk. You can give it a go wherever you are in the world. It is live in how many? Can fifty-four countries. Um, so download. I'm going to download it and and give it a whirl. Really appreciate your time and talking to us, and uh, we look forward to to following all your success. Thanks a lot, Kevin. It, it's, it's been a pleasure. All the best to everyone in Sydney. Thank you. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Nick, I was, um, as I mentioned in that interview, I mean, it's maybe a function of me actually uh, starting to show my demographic age, but I, w I was quite impressed that a mobile-only accommodation app 
is doing so well and, p- and people booking um, just on straight mobile just through and just booking accommodation yeah I mean honestly it's just one of those things where when you first hear about it you're like oh that's a strange decision I wonder if it's actually going to do well for them and then after it starts working it clicks and, and suddenly you're like oh well of course that would make sense kind of thing because when you think about it I when, when you think of all, you know, the backpackers and everyone traveling through Europe, traveling through the USA, um, you know. They got mobiles with them. Exactly. They yeah. don't carry desktop machines. Some would, them. some won't, but but they all would have a mobile. And and Joe made a really good point about, you know, people used to have to find a net cafe to go to or borrow someone's machine to book, yeah. a, a, book a hotel. And, you know, they'd be sitting. I, I can remember. I've done this myself, like sitting on a desktop machine clicking through screens and screens and screens of, you know, just like hundreds of form fields. And, you know, like you click something and it doesn't work and the form, you know, gets cleared and you have to type in all your details again. And, you know, it, it, you know, you, you click book and it says, oh, you know, this, this room has been booked already and it takes you back to the beginning and now it's gone up by double the price or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, hotels, the hotel booking space has needed like a really big disruption for a long time. And I think Airbnb sort of um, catered to part of that, but now we're seeing things in the actual like hotel hotel space, like the the catered, you know, like professional hotels. I don't know a, a better way to describe it, but yeah. And um, I've actually just finished reading Conrad Hilton's autobiography, and he was the the real Hilton. He was the guy. Oh that right, like, yeah. Like the granddaddy. I mean, he's he's long passed away, but it's. Um, you know, business was very different in, in that era and it's very interesting to read how he started from nothing and he got into the hotels and um, that's just an aside. If, if you're listening and you're looking for an interesting book to read, um, I, I got it in a second-hand bookstore. It's a little paperback and um, seemed like quite a humble, very hard-working guy. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always interesting uh, to hear about those first-generation stories of, of um, companies that have that have become really, really enormous. Uh, there's an interesting... Pr- particularly pre-tech, right? Yeah, exactly. Because cause to scale tech, once you start scaling, you, you can start scaling like mad. But pre-tech, you scaling these companies, you had to... Be, I mean, these guys worked seriously hard. Yeah, and you've got to have people in your in your circle that you can trust to to handle things, for example, in an overseas market because you couldn't just, you know... Hop on a Skype yeah, call. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. It, or it, even, even you know, phone calls and that. So I, I, I like reading some of these, you know, old school folk, um, for lack of a better word. Um, I think there's a, there's, th- there's a lack of humility in our generation that uh, we know it all, we all the hardest workers, whatever, but the, <laughs> the old school, um, you know, the people that... And it was, in a way, it was more Darwinian as well and, you know, oh, not, yeah, not much mean. sort of early stage VC and tech crunch pitching <laughs> competitions. <Yeah. laughs> and um, um, so, yeah, so that's um, um, uh, sort of hot.co.uk. I haven't tried. Did you, uh, did you manage to hop on that app? I never no, managed I, to. No, I haven't had a look at it yet. Um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to Singapore later today, but unfortunately, I'd already booked the hotel before <laughs> I even heard that this app existed, you know. I think they, as you say, there's a lot of there's a lot of room for uh, disruption in the, the you know people travel more than ever. They travel yeah. internally, externally, and lots and of opportunities. The the biggest thing I think is they travel with much much less notice. Mm. People have much less time to prepare now for travel than they used to. Like people might travel now at two to three days days notice, or even you know on average 
just a week or a couple of weeks rather than planning a trip for a year and booking things that Bec- far because in they can yeah I, I mean jimmy who we've spoken about before is our in-house dinosaur <laughs> you know and we love him to bits and when he plans a trip boy he plans it yeah it's six eight months because he's not used to it mm. you, you know and um and when in the past I said, oh, I can maybe join you there. He's like, and I said, I'll let you know a week before he looks at me like it's a very, you know, strange thing to say. So, yeah, that, that, that sort of uh, um, a last minute travel booking is, uh, y- you know, become commonplace because it's easy to do and great opportunities everywhere. I, yeah, I mean, I think that this is actually representative of a, of a much larger trend which is going to appear. Like, uh, we always talk about trends in tech and you know how there's been social networks and now th- now the hot things are sort of um, IoT, like Internet of Things interacting with, with real, real world objects and there are a whole bunch of stuff like that. What but was that uh, TechCrunch article um, that I sent you about the combination of the, the technology with the human layer? What was oh, that buzzword? I can't remember what it was called, but it's, it's basically like uh, human-assisted or tech-assisted tech. human-based yeah. services. Yeah. So, so essentially, it means building tools that will make a single person much more efficient at doing a job, but you're still hiring a person to do the job on the other side of... of of the the web or you know mobile transaction kind of thing and and i mean the, the example that everyone is understands is uber uber's got an app it's got cars which is tech but it's still at the it's moment still need, humans, needs yeah. a human to drive exactly. it so and manage flutter ram remote account management which if you're a user you you might be familiar with where it's um we do some of the curation on your behalf um so sorry you were going to say that the trends oh, i just think that um that uh, this hotel uh, booking app as well as there's a number of other things in this space but I think it's really representative of the uh, a trend of the ability of really high speed uh, tech products to reduce stock wastage just in general across a whole lot of different industries so one of the big things that I really think is amazing about this app is they negotiate for rooms that wouldn't have been sold at all Uh, if the app hadn't been there. I mean, they negotiate a cheaper price given, but the hotel is actually making more money than they would have because they're getting rid of that extra stock. And and he was talking about, you know, how uh, airlines have been working out better ways to sell the additional stock on, on their planes, you know, the additional seats that might go wasted. I would really be interested in seeing some app turn up like this, um, in the food industry to have you know food at the end of the day at shopping centers an enormous amount of stuff gets thrown out and if there was some way of you know like down bidding for this stuff in real time you know the, the tricky thing the tricky thing i mean it's a fantastic idea and i've i've said before as well 50 percent of the the food that gets created in the world goes to waste yeah 50 percent um i i've thought of an app where people in their homes if they've got excess food in their homes can put it on an app and people in the area if they want to come get the excess food in the homes well so there's all sorts of the problem with food's a tricky one I because know, it can it make spoil so easily and yeah. it can make people sick <laughs> yeah and and the, i mean there's the whole you know dumpster diving thing which which it's people coming a big trend now it's yeah. becoming a big trend but the big stores try to clamp down on it because they're worried if someone gets sick and sued They'll and this and yeah. that so but I, I like that space as well, and um, yeah, I just think so much goes to waste in the food industry. Yeah, and and the reason I think is because they can't get that stock to the people who are willing to purchase it, um, because the, mar- the, the, the market speed can't match it. Yeah, yeah. The, the speed in in the infrastructure just isn't there. Whereas whereas they've obviously created this kind of thing for for hotels now, 
And of course, there's a very complex technical background to the way that it works. But yeah, you know, even still, I think we're going to see a lot more apps involved in this space, essentially like uh, negotiating for for stressed inventory non prime cuts of, yeah. of people's inventory yeah exactly yeah. and that's a total win win of sort of optimizing the market and yeah. um, i mean i mean airlines do that automatically with their very complicated pricing algorithms um, you know they they try to optimize the demand and the supply and um, i wonder when someone's going to break in and really disrupt that whole airline booking very very hard i think yeah. it's, ve- it's it's very hard so be- dense the well it's very hard because the nature of airlines themselves are not that competitive by the virtue of they're so capital intensive they so so capital intensive and the margins are so low as well margins yeah. are low and then you got the you, you got the emirates of the world that are funded and singapore airlines that are funded rolled by the government yeah. so no yeah. one can come so it's a very very lumpy industry so um yeah, yeah. personally i would i i would have to be a bi- like a big very well-funded startup i think to crack that yeah i don't know i don't know but um anyway um i know you've got a plane to catch next podcast i'll probably be in the states or i may hand it over to chelsea and uh, nick we'll see but we'll be back in two weeks time this has been episode number 59 um um, I'm Kevin Garber um, from Manage Flitters. I'm the CEO, and uh, with me has been Nick Barker, product lead and front end um, dev. I'm not sure. I always forget what your official title well, is. There are too many words. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to cut it down to an acronym like something like that. But uh, check us out on Twitter. Send us feedback, and we'll catch you in two weeks.